So, hey, my name is Pastor Nick Newman, and I'm here with my friend Noah Black. Can we give it up for Noah real quick? So uh, Noah's our worship director here, and just a, a shameless plug for the worship team. If you're here and, and God has gifted you with the ability to, to sing or play an instrument, man, we would love for you to join the worship team. You can do that by going to propel.church slash worship. And, uh, and so, hey, so just so you know, too, um, we are totally aware that it is hot. So the good news is for most of us, this is as close to hell as we have going to get. Can I get a good amen? So. Um, but we, we appreciate you bearing with us this morning. And because, uh, you know, North Carolina, you're gonna, they're going to turn the heat on when it's 75 degrees outside. And we just thank you, Jesus. So um, today we are in the last week of our Good Questions series. And during the last week of the series, we do a live Q&A. And the whole reason this whole series exists is to really help you and I um, get the questions answered that we've kind of been asking. So we do a survey at Easter, and then we build a message series off of that. And then the last week, we just do kind of a live format Q&A, bunch of questions uh, on one Sunday. And so if you have questions that you want answered, you can text those to the number that's on the screen behind me. Um, we're, I'll just go ahead and tell you, we're probably not going to get to all the questions today because we do have about a 30-minute timer on the clock. Um, but the questions that we don't get answered, uh, we've, we've got still leftover questions from the 9 a.m. So we'll do um, a, a Facebook Live event at some point this week and, and kind of answer some more of those questions as we go through them and really boil down the main content from all that. So you can text in questions on the screen, but while you're texting in questions, I'm going to go ahead and give you a question that you didn't ask, but I'm going to ask for you. And this is what it is, is why should I bring a friend to one huge weekend? So Next week, we have one huge weekend, and uh, it is a staple on our calendar every year because we know that the average person comes to church like one Sunday a month. So if you're like, well, I come all four Sundays, you're a rock star. We don't, ha we don't do stickers, but like if we did, you would get one um, because like you're amazing. But the average person doesn't. Right, right now on a given Sunday, we see about 300 people between both experiences, and we have a church of about 500 people. They just don't all show up at the same time. So one huge weekend is designed to help all of us come together as a family. And we just happen to give some incentives in that. We give away a free t-shirt. It says, I love my church. There's a new design and a new color this year. And so if you've seen people wearing those and go, well, how do I get one? You show up to one huge weekend and, uh, and we'd love to get you one. So, um, and I'll just be transparent. I think I'm going to preach the best message of my life next week. Like I've been, I'm just saying, I've been working on this message and uh, it's going to take a biblical story that you've heard preached your whole life. And I believe God gave some, some fresh insight um, to some numerical things that are, are going to bring great increase to you. So would love for you to join me next Sunday, 9 a.m., 1030. Bring a friend, bring your wife, whoever else you got in your life. And now we're rhyming. So. I'll produce my EP pretty soon. Bars, bars. All right, what we got? Well, so, hey, we've got some, some great questions and a lot, a lot of really cool questions this time. Uh, the first one I want to tackle is, can you be saved and go to heaven by being a good person? Yeah, so that was, so that seems like a hard question, right? But it's really, really simple because the answer is no. So uh, being a good person is not what gets you and I into heaven. 
So I think what we have to do is we have to boil it down, right? Uh, what you're going to hear me talk about, I would encourage you to do this. I would encourage you to take great notes today um, because I'm going to reference scriptures. I'm going to mention scriptures. And what I would love for you to do is go home and read it for yourself because I think there's value. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm honored that people trust, you know, the word of God that I deliver on a weekend. What's more profitable for me in the long run is that you go home and you study scripture for yourself. What we see and read in scripture is that the only way to get to heaven is through Jesus. Jesus comes and he says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, that's a pretty clear word, no one comes to the Father except through me. So the only way that you and I get access to God the Father who is in heaven um, is to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So being a good person will never be good enough because the debt that sin created on our life has a payment, but that payment has to be sinless. I don't know about you. I do know about you, but like, I'm not sinless, right? So I can't pay the debt for myself. Jesus came. Jesus lived a sinless life. He died in our place so that in him we could have new life. So it's not about being a good person. It's not about keeping the commandments because Paul said if we could keep the commandments, there would be no reason for Jesus to die. Um, it's all about Jesus, and it's always been about Jesus. Yeah, that's good. Next one, you're, you're ready to get into the nitty-gritty? Let's get you ready it. Ready for it? Okay. I told Noah on the front end, we were in the hallway earlier, and I said, hey, I just want you to know, um, I'm, like, not scared of any topic. So, like, throw it out. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, you guys, you guys are given some very specific questions, and I love it. So, alcohol and drinking wine is a hot topic. Is it okay? Okay, so alcohol. So there's a lot of, of, of thoughts around this, right? And if we look in Scripture we can see biblical cases for both sides of the argument. And that's the hardest part about really being a follower of Jesus and debating with other Christians because, one, we're called to live in unity, right? So if there's an issue that's not uh, eternity-driven, then, then it's one of those uh, bottom-shelf issues. When it comes to alcohol and wine, um, I think you can drink, but Paul's also really clear, um, you know, just because I can do it doesn't mean I should. And so that really is up to your the convictions of the Holy Spirit within you. But I will say it's also based on the people who you're around at the time. Because Paul says, if I do something that causes my brother to stumble, then, then I've, I've missed it. Um, so when it comes to alcohol, here's, here's the way I look at it. For me, I totally have the ability to drink. Um, the last time I had something to drink was at a wedding about two years ago. And it's not because I can't drink. I choose for me personally not to because my, I live in what I like to call a high-stressed life environment. <laughs> you know, um, and, and for me, um, especially in ministry, I travel pretty consistently. I do business development and, and work outside. And so I have high stress Alcohol could easily become something for me that would be something to ease the weight. And, and so uh, Tori and I have a policy for our house that if you've had a bad week or a bad day or you're even caught up in your feelings, then you don't have the ability to do that. Because at that point, alcohol becomes your coping mechanism, which you've replaced Jesus with alcohol and it will never work out. Next one is, why do we not have deacons? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So we, we do, we just don't. So, so, so right? 
Next question. No, I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> no. no. So, so we structured our organization um, for high accountability and flexibility at the same time. And so we do have people who function in the form of deacons. Those are our ministry leaders. So here at Propel Church, we don't do committees. Um, we don't do boards. We don't, we don't vote on anything. Um, and the reason is, one, and this, some of you guys may not like this, and that's okay. Um, voting's not biblical. You don't see it anywhere in Scripture where Paul says to take the, the opinions of the congregation and vote on it, and then make a decision. It, it, it doesn't work um, because people normally make decisions based on feelings and emotions of how we feel, and feelings are the most unstable thing we can base our decisions around, and so what we did is we created a, a government system, and we're not the only church that operates like this. We're part of a network, a global network of churches uh, called ARC and GROW, um, those are you can look at arcchurches.com and see that, which I would encourage you to do anyways because I meet a lot of people who are like, man, I love Propel, and then they move somewhere and they're like, we can't find a church. Arcchurches.com has a church finder where you can find churches that are in our network, and, and I would encourage you to do that. Um, but So our government structure is threefold. We have, um, we have overseers, and those are lead pastors who hold me accountable. If, so if there's disciplinary measures or anything like that, they would step in. The reason why we, we do that, um, truthfully, is because if you have sheep following a shepherd but then governing a shepherd at the same time, it removes the ability for me to lead you. Because if I lead you in a direction you don't like, n- then you see church conflict consistently. So these pastors who understand ministry, the ins and outs, watch over us. We have a board of trustees who manage the financial obligations of the church. And so like the purchasing of buildings and or if we're going to rent a new space, they would make sure that vision never trumps stewardship. Um, Because it's one thing to step out in faith. It's another thing to make a poor financial decision. And so this is a group of people that help make that. And then the day-to-day operations of the church are ran by the staff and ministry leaders of Propel. Yeah, that's good. Next one is, what is the biblical view of women in ministry? It's probably one of my favorite questions. Um, It's a hot topic right now, right? Because there was a pastor um, the other week who made a uh, remark uh, regarding a female leader. And one of the things that um, he, he said, he was giving his remarks on her as an individual. And so her name was asked, what do you think about her? And his response was, go home. And really uh, rude and abrasive, there's a lot of people who believe women can't hold a position of authority in ministry. And those who feel that way normally come back to this verse. So I want to read it to you, and then I want to talk a little bit about it. So um, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 34 says this, Women should remain silent in the church. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. It's 1 Corinthians 14, 34. Now, if you take that verse at face value, um, it says that women should sit down and be quiet. If you look at the context of that verse, it has an incredibly different meaning. And I think if we cherry pick verses, we're always going to get the wrong stuff. You have to look at the context, right? Even even thinking about the context of Scripture, Luke chapter 4, when Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, is not a story of how to overcome temptation, 
because because Luke three ends with um, son of Adam. So Jesus is the second Adam, and the only way you know that is if you go to chapter three. So what what Genesis or Luke chapter four is all about is that Jesus succeeds where Adam failed. That's the big. It's the heavyweight contest because if Jesus can't win in the wilderness, he's not really the savior. So context matters tremendously, and the context for this particular passage is that there were these boys had grown up learning the law, studying the law. They knew about God. They knew what God had written. Women didn't have that luxury. They, they, they were submissive to their husbands to the point where they just stayed at home. They didn't have the education. So they got, Jesus comes, he dies, brings equality for salvation. He brings equality in the context of ministry. But now Paul's got a problem because he has men who are educated and he has women who are not. And so they're standing up in churches with this excitement and they're saying things that are contradictory to scripture because sometimes we get excited and just, I get excited sometimes. I say things, I'm like, that's not, that's not, that's not right. I apologize. And so, so that's the context that Paul's talking to. Um, Our role for women in ministry is that they not only have a place, but they have a voice. And if you want to know, like our stance, you can look at our preaching calendar. We have women teach consistently here at Propel Church. I, my wife is, is somewhere in the building today, and, uh, and she, she's, in my opinion, she's one of my favorite communicators. I love her voice. She's an incredible woman of God. Yeah, you can honor her. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Um, and even just, you know, back in uh, June or July, you know, we did uh, what was called a four and seven where we gave four of our female leaders um, a, uh, the opportunity to teach um, because I think every house needs the heart of a mother and a father. And Tori and I have that role here, but, but it carries down into other leaders in our church. So women not only have a place, they have a voice, and they will always have a voice in this church. Yeah, this, one, this one's a fun one, so I hope you guys are excited about this one. Um, we've had this conversation before. <laughs> Do our loved ones become angels when they die? See, y'all going to make me do it. <laughs> y'all going to make me do it. Um, the answer is no. They don't. Let me shift the question a little bit. Not because I want to avoid it. The, the short answer is no, we don't become angels. We become saints, and it's better. Because saints have the ability to worship from a different posture than angels do. Angels have existed since the beginning of time. Angels know nothing but perfection. Angels have been with God the entire time. And angels had no need for Jesus. We get to stand in the beauty, the marvel, and the splendor of God, not as angels, but as saints. And so um, when, when one of our loved ones dies, it is, it is hard. It is heartbreaking. Um, heaven doesn't gain another angel. If they had a relationship with Jesus, heaven gained a saint, and saints are worshiping, and they're enjoying the presence of God. And, and I think sometimes when we, when we say things like that, like we get to spend eternity with God, our thought is, oh, no, heaven's going to be like a big church service. And depending on if you like your church, right, will determine on whether or not you think you're going to enjoy heaven. <laughs> but, cool, three of y'all got that. So, um, But that's not, that's not the way it is. It, heaven is is complete perfection. No more sickness, no more pain, no more suffering. Um, are there houses in heaven? He says, my father has 
has prepared a place for you. Could be a metaphor, could be literal. Is there food in heaven? I hope so, um, <laughs> right? But like, because some of Jesus' greatest moments happen over food, so I think it's a big, you know. Um, is that, I guess that answers yeah. your question. So Noah, let me ask you a question for a second. Uh-oh. Um, <laughs> so you've been with us for like three, four years now. What, what's been the biggest thing you've learned in the last three years, mm, four wow. years? Oh, how the tables have turned. Um, I think for me, there's been so much that's happened over the course of like three or four years, however long it's been. Um, but for sure, I think the biggest thing is community, understanding what community is. And so we have propelled groups here of all sorts. And so for me, Coming from, I've been raised in church my entire life, but I think I've missed that community aspect, just a little bit of, of sitting down with a small group of people and hitting one-on-one some issues that I've had in my life. And so I'm normally a pretty reserved person. I keep everything to myself. And if I have a problem, it's just like, mm, I'm just going to keep it inside of here, and then hopefully I'll, I'll figure it out at some point. When in reality, the, the joy in it is being able to tell somebody the uncomfortable things. And sure. so we have a ton of people here that get a lot of midnight calls from me of like, hey, I got a lot of junk going on. But in that, whenever I reveal the issues that I have, uh, not only is the revealing very weightlifting, or li- I don't weightlift, obviously, but um, it lifts that weight it's, off. Your- it's, way, it's way more obvious for me than it is you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you look like a pretty fit guy, I'll be honest. Yeah, I'm sure. But... Um, it lifts that weight off your shoulders, but also um, it brings such a healing to where you can help influence others who may go through what you go through yeah. uh, in, later on in life. So that's that's been a huge game changer for me, for sure. And I think that's what we've talked about before, that, that God will heal what you reveal. Yeah. So yeah, those, sure. those areas where we stay stuck in darkness, the enemy still has a foothold. He still has a stronghold. But when you and I choose to allow God to step in, and make a way. It, it brings healing and purpose and fulfillment. That's so good. So good. How do I make God the center of my marriage? I love it. So Tori and I have been married for five years. We're coming up on six years married right now, and uh, we're excited. So, um, and I would say, like, at, in the season of our marriage, it is the hardest and the best it's ever been. So, like, Sometimes I think we feel like if we're going through difficult things as a merit, like as a couple, then it's not good or it's not from God. But it's in the suffering, it's in the hardship that God strengthens, unifies, and bonds things together. And so, um, you know, Tori and I have had the opportunity to travel to Florida on two different trips this month, one for preaching and one for vacation. And, and um, you know, we've got to do a lot of things together. So how do you put God at the center of your marriage? Um, the first thing that I would say is your communication has to be on point. And we don't always get this right, um, but you and you and your spouse are on the same team even when you don't feel like you're on the same team. So putting God at the center of your marriage, um, I think, is the recognition of spiritual warfare because the enemy wants to divide. He wants to step in. Uh, I jokingly call them scrambler demons. So here's what happens. I'll say something to my wife. Somehow, between the time it leaves my mouth to the time it hits her ear, it has changed meaning. It has, it has, something has happened. And, and she says, you said, I did, no, I did not. 
I did not say that. Right. But here's what the enemy loves. He's crafty and he's divisive. And what he loves to do is get in between your marriage because your marriage is to depict your covenant with God. The marriage is to be a symbol of, of unity, of eternity, that nothing can separate this bond. And then sometimes we easily let things get in between it. So I would say um, recognize spiritual warfare. And then the, the other thing, um, you and your spouse need to serve in ministry together. Um, it doesn't have to look like what it looks like for Tori and I, which is you know leading a church. Um, if you're if you're a part of a team together, if you're a part of a church together, if you find a group together, you need to be involved in the local church together. Um, one of the things that I've seen never work, I've I've never seen it work long term, is for a husband to be heavily involved or a wife to be heavily involved and the other spouse is not. You have to do it together. Because everything you do together builds upon the foundation. Putting God at the center of your marriage oftentimes means putting God at the center of your calendar. This one, this one's really good. Me and you personally have had tons of one-on-one conversations about this one the past couple months. Um, how do you find joy when waiting for God to move in a tough season? So I'm going to answer this quickly. And then I'm gonna let you answer it. Because here's what I know: you and I, you and I are wired completely differently, right? So for me, um, like on the Myers Briggs, I'm an ENTP. On the Enneagram, I'm a seven. Um, on the come on somebody, sevens in the house. If you don't know what that is, it's okay. Um, don't worry. So you go Google it later. Uh, but on the emotional side of things, like how do I choose joy? I literally look at myself and say, you have a choice right now, make the right one. And I just do it. But that's easy for me, right? You and I have been in places and I would get frustrated and I'd be like, all right, I'm done being mad. And like, it's, it's literally that quick for me. And, and so, um, but not everybody's wired that way. Yeah. <laughs> so for me, um, I don't remember anything of how I'm wired of Enneagram tests and all that. But what I do know is, um, for me at least, Whenever, whenever we wait for God, we realize how much patience develops us. I love the thought that um, we don't find out truly about our character in the yes, but it's whenever we are told no is how we find out what our character is. It's good. And so whenever we wait for God, we, we see how our patience, how we really react in patient moments. And for all of you that don't know, I'm the least patient person in this room. Like I'm very instantaneous. And so to wait for something it's hard, but I realize how gratifying it is in the long run and realizing that the waiting season isn't a wasted season. So good. And so knowing that and, and finding joy in that, that God has got something prepared for me, prepared for you, uh, and, and it's just in timing. It's just in that timing. And so uh, Pastor Rich Wilkerson Jr., it, it's one of my favorite pastors to listen to, he says that like the right thing at the wrong time isn't a blessing, it's a curse. Mm. And so to think about that and to think if you rush something in God's timing, it could be more detrimental than it would be a blessing. That's so, right. Uh, realizing that God's already brought me through so much and not not questioning that, and just realizing that, hey, if there's a timing for everything, it's, it's something that I, I definitely find joy in. Yeah. Uh, the next one, we tackled this one in the first worship experience. And so we got a couple more questions that are similar to this. So I want to hit this again. Uh, This is going to be a fun one. What denominations get it right? (sighs) (laughs) Um, uh, What denominations get 
So I, so I'm just going to go back to my answer from 9 a.m. because because I think it's it's the best answer I've got, um, which is uh, there's no way for a single denomination to just get it right because denominations are made up of people and people have issues and churches have issues, right? So no one gets it perfect because we're not perfect. Um, we are affiliated with the SBC, so we're a Southern Baptist church. Um, I jokingly tell people we're like charismatic with a seatbelt. Um, <laughs> so like we we believe in the speaking in tongues. We, we believe in laying on hands and healing people. We believe in women on ministry, which there are other brothers and sisters in our denomination that don't. Um, but we also don't push our denomination um, because what I believe is that if there's anything that creates a barrier for people, it's not necessary. So we're affiliated. We we help them. We serve them. I, I help teach church planting for them and speak at events. Um, but the whole goal of this, so w- which denomination gets it right? I, I don't think any of us get it right because um, I think every church operates as the, in the same way as the body of Christ does, which is to say that each part plays a role. It has a specific function and design. And uh, that's that beautiful collective mosaic mess is how the gospel moves forward. Because if there were only churches like ours, then there would be a lot of people that don't make it to heaven. And so I celebrate the Methodist church up the road. I celebrate um, the non-denom guys. Most non-denom people are just mad Baptists. That's a whole different story. <laughs> um, but, you know, like I celebrate with, with those guys and, and I celebrate with my, my AG friends and my Church of God friends. And, and so wherever you're at, I think the, um, the best thing to do is, is just get rooted in the local church. Um, we aligned with the SBC because we hold a tight conviction to Scripture. Um, and so if you want to know what we believe, uh, read the Bible. If it's in the Bible, then we believe it. Speaking in tongues is in Scripture. We believe it. Healing is in Scripture. We, we believe it. I mean, we, we hold tight to Scripture. Uh, this, one, this one's a fun one. I, I'm, I'm actually really excited about this one. What did you personally think about Kanye's new album? <laughs> okay, so I'll be honest. I, I love it. I love Kanye's new album. And here's, here's why. So the big, the big thing that's going around social media right now is people are going, well, you know, Kanye, Kanye's saying that he loves Jesus now. Which is a big deal, okay? So the guy went from proclaiming, I'm God, I'm Jesus, to now uh, saying, God has changed my life. I thought I was God, but I realized that really Jesus is king, and I'm, I'm not Jesus. And, and so that's a big shift. So there's people who are very skeptical. And the thing is, um, you can be skeptical, right? But... If God can't save Kanye, then there's no way God can save me. The only difference between me and Kanye is that Kanye's sins were a little more public than mine were. And so um, we believe that God can save, God can redeem, and God can heal. And what I've watched in Scripture, or what I've watched over the last couple of weeks unfold in Kanye's life, which has not been a two-week journey. Um, he's been on this journey for a couple of years now. Um, but to watch him in interviews say, you know, I I realized that um, I was my own God and now I've made Jesus the Lord of my life. I'm not who I used to be. 
I think as followers of Jesus, we have the opportunity that's afforded to us. Like you can look at Luke 15. There's two opportunities. We can either, the prodigal son comes home. I think Kanye is a prodigal. Um, prodigal son comes home, and the father goes inside to celebrate with the son who came home. But the other brother stays out in the field because he's mad because he thinks that the brother's past defines him, and our past doesn't define us. God restores us as sons and daughters, and so I'm not going to sit in the field and be angry when I can be inside enjoying a steak and partying with my brother. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm a young millennial. I'm 21, so obviously I'm going to use the terminology that I thought it was dope. That's <laughs> the word I'm going to use. Dope. But in, in all reality, I'm not, I've never been a huge Kanye West fan, but to see he he's talked about how there's been a 180 in his life and you yeah. see that in scripture things like that i mean you look at the life of paul who literally killed other christians and then became the the most one of the most prolific arguably christians in, in scripture and so to see that um he made a quote in an interview kanye west did it and he said um when we lack the fear and the love of god we end up creating the fear and love for everything else. And so to hear something like that, I mean, that's huge. And so to hear that he's gone through that journey, I mean, like you said, I mean, if he can't save Kanye, he can't save me. He can't save anybody else. And so it's uh, it's, it's really cool. I think more of the transformational side has been really cool, more than the music. Yeah. So, And it reminds me a lot of um, Mark 5, right? So you have the demon-possessed man yeah. who has a radical encounter with Jesus. The people in the town didn't know what to do with him. Before he got, before, while he was demon possessed, and then he got set free, and it says that they saw that he was fully clothed, which means at one point, dude was running around naked. Um, so he's fully clothed and perfectly sane, and it says the people asked him and Jesus to leave. So he was completely different, and that people still didn't know what to do with him. And uh, and what Jesus invites that former demon possessed man to do is go home and tell everybody about the great things God has done. I think that's where Kanye is at right now. As he's telling people, that's great. Let's let's do this. Let's do one more question, and then our timer has hit zero. So. Perfect, perfect. So quickly, this is going to be hard to answer quickly. Difference between conviction and condemnation. Okay. Um, so the so I answered this um, really well in a in a thirty minute message in May of twenty seventeen. So. Uh, you can go back and look at that. It was in a message series called This or That. And um, the whole purpose of it was to talk about how the difference. So so there's two types of promptings that I think you and I feel in our lives. One is conviction. One is condemnation. Conviction is actually the greatest gift God ever gave us. It is the uh, outside of Jesus. Because you don't have conviction without Jesus. That's a, I could get into that in a little bit. I don't, actually. I'm out of time. We'll get there. Um Conviction, though, is a gift from God. It's this check engine light of your heart where the Holy Spirit goes, hey, there's something wrong. You're not in character. You're not in line with God's plan and purpose for your life. Condemnation comes from the enemy. Because Romans chapter 8 says that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so uh, conviction pushes us into the presence of God where condemnation isolates us from God. So conviction is is a voice that says you were made for more than this. Condemnation says you are the mistakes you've made. And when we feel guilt and shame, it doesn't come from God. It comes from the enemy. And the enemy's whole goal is to convince you that he is God. That's the whole reason why he fell. 
He thought he could be God. So what he does is he comes looking like God. He comes to tempt Eve to eat from the tree of the knowledge of both good and evil. We just think of it as a bad tree. Now, there was good stuff in that tree. Just because it's good doesn't mean it's God. And so I think to understand the difference is if, if the feelings that I have, if the promptings that I'm feeling push me into the presence of God, then that's conviction. If it's drawing me away from him, if it's making me more you know, internalized about what I've got going on, then it's not from him. So here's what I want to do now. Um, I, I want to just talk for a second um, about salvation because I believe that even today, so we do we do a, a salvation opportunity at every single one of our experiences. And uh, I go ahead and have the worship team come back out. Um, but we do a, a salvation moment at every experience because we believe that the greatest thing you could do is give your life to Jesus, to make a decision to follow God with your life. And so maybe you're here today and you've heard us talk for a little while and, and, and you realize that you don't have a relationship with God. Well, the greatest thing that you could do today is to say yes. Like maybe you're, you're here and you've been trying to work hard or be good enough. Maybe you've tried everything in your own strength and in your own power. And at the end of all that, you realized it's not enough. The only way you and I get into heaven, that we get access to God the Father, is through Jesus Christ. And so with every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment, I believe there's some of you in here today who need to begin a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've been wandering. Maybe you've walked away from God or turned your back on him. The best news of all is that God never turned his back on you. He's been standing there waiting for you to come home the whole time. If you're in here today and you need to begin a relationship with Jesus, would you just lift your hand for a moment and say, hey, that's me. I see those. I see that. Here's what we're gonna do. Nobody prays alone. We're all gonna pray together. Will you say this out loud with me? Dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I place my hope and trust in you. Thank you for dying in my place so that I could have new life. In Jesus' name, amen.